Welcome to Pure Russell Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando, and we are in episode 78. What? That's Which, crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. And it's time for another Level Up Review. Yeah, so we are continuing our Level Up Review of uh, the 10X Roll, right, by Grant Cardone. So Correct. super exciting. Uh, we're not going to be able to finish it today, but uh, you know what I've noticed with this book, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised by it because there's a lot about this book that kind of rubs me the wrong way. There's a lot about it that I like. Uh, but there's one thing to say is there's a lot of good talking points. And so what I'd say to our listeners is whether or not you've read the book, um, pay attention, listen up, because there might be some things in here, like little bits here and there that's going to help improve your your reselling, your day-to-day life, whatever business you're involved in. Uh, there's definitely, it's a, it's a goldmine of information. And a lot of it's like little one-liner zingers. And some of it's like kind of deep theoretical stuff. And, you know, whether or not it's all perfectly original, I don't know, but it is it is helpful. No, and I will say the last episode, we got a lot of feedback from you guys that you really appreciated and you appreciated the part. We got this a lot in the DMs about owning things like responsibility. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of the things right now that it seems that it's, I don't know, it seems like it's countercultural, right? To where I, you know, and I can't tell you there was a time when it wasn't. I think it's always been like that. I, I think we get this kind of. I don't know, utopian like feel of the past that people like worked hard and did this, but there's always been a struggle, I think. And I, I see that as a as a guy who's studied history and and that's kind of what I did for a living and I still do, uh, that there's always a struggle to own things, right? We always wanna, you know, blame this and blame that. And, and you know, we're not getting, <laughs> I don't know, bring it practically, we're not getting eBay sales because of this thing that happened right. or that thing that happened, or you know, and I get it. And I want to reiterate the fact that we discussed last time was that, you know, things may not be your fault, but ultimately it's your responsibility what you do after it happens or while it's happening. Which was kind of the great um, Will Smith quote, right? Yes, that it was. Yeah. Had. Like, it's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. And, and that's such an important part. And one of the things that I appreciate about this book, and again, when I read it, um, normally when I read books like I just, I don't really read the words out loud in my head. I just kind of read through it. But because I've listened to Grant Cardone narrate another (laughs) book, I hear his voice and his intensity as he's saying, like, as I'm reading through this. And this is definitely like a suck it up. In fact, there's a whole chapter that we're going to be talking about today, which is basically like, you know, suck it up, go out there, get it. And, you know, maybe there is something that's, that's an obstacle in your way. That's not your fault. Um, well, suck it up, get over it, get out there and attack it, adapt, move forward, attack, 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 and eventually you're going to find success. And so um, if nothing else, this book has been very motivational for that. And so we're going to talk about some of those uh, big things. And that kind of leads us right into where we're starting today, which is uh, chapter seven of the book, which is four degrees of action. Uh, what were your thoughts there? I have some thoughts, but I just want to share one thing real it. quick. So one thing I do appreciate about Grant Cardone is that his message has been consistent since day one. I, I, I what I see is lately is kind of like there's this whole like hustle, 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 and then people begin to retreat, right? And I, I don't know where I land on that. I, I'm more of like if you if your message has been hustle from day one, and I guess it's okay for you to you know change your mind. I guess it's okay for you to kind of pivot, but understanding like if something was true like unless something huge like move that like you got to keep that message and that's one of the things i appreciate about grant cardone i mean i haven't followed him for a long time but i've looked at his other books and i've I've watched a lot of his videos and so to me there's something to be said about consistency yeah and i think part of it too is some of the reasons some some speakers adapt is 
because people go through seasons and stages. And so this message isn't the message that most people are going to like thrive on forever. Right. They like this might be what they need to like get like break through a plateau and get moving or like get off the couch the very first time or or really get some motivation when things are low. And then as they get going, then it's not like a, you know, just like you don't always need, you know, somebody like a drill instructor yelling in your ear. Sometimes you yeah. need like to sit down, more teaching and wise instructions that might be more applicable to whatever stage in life you're going through. But but yeah, so he's definitely the like, get it, get it, get it, go for it's it. It's all get it. Like yeah. 10X is all 10X. So, yeah. all right. So get let's it talk 10 about, times. Let's talk about first about how not to get it in the four degrees of action. Yeah, four degrees of seven. action. It's pretty simple. Uh you know, number one was do nothing, but I, there was something interesting. Do you want, is there a quote you wanted to share from that before? Yeah, we move just on? In, it opened up with saying this, there are no shortcuts. The more action you take, the better your chances are of getting a break. Discipline, consistent and persistent actions are more of a determining factor in the creation of success than any other combination of things. Like that is, I mean, that's pretty much true. I mean, the, we've talked about that multiple times, like this idea of like, there's like luck isn't really a part of it. And and if you do want to call it luck, like luck comes when people are getting it over and over and over, those opportunities come up. But, you know, this idea that the more action you take, and we've had this conversation that, you know, sometimes you have to be specific and say, it's not just any action, right? Like you, you can't just be doing something. You have to be doing something that's useful and worthwhile. Uh, but it's that consistently disciplined over time, taking those actions. Uh, but there's four types of actions that people can take, uh, which is what gets talked about here. So uh, do you want to talk about the first one? Well, yeah, because it reminded me of a teacher from back in the day who who's still my mentor. He's my basketball coach. And, and so, what is the first one again? Just real quick. So we do nothing. Do nothing. <laughs> do nothing. So, and again, we don't want to spend too much time on doing nothing. So we're going to move quickly through this one. But, you know, on page 49, he discusses, regardless of which degree of action you operate in, they all work in their own ways. Signs that you're doing nothing include exhibiting boredom, lethargy, complacency, and lack of purpose. People in this group will find themselves spending their time and energy justifying their actions, which requires as much work as the other actions. And I remember something that I always was told by this teacher of mine, you would always say it's a lot hard, a lot more difficult to fail than to be successful. And I always thought that's crazy. Like, what are you talking about? Like, if I just show up and do nothing in class, like I'm good. I go home, mm -hmm. I do nothing in class. But then it hit me like, like a decade later when I was a teacher, I go, those poor kids, because here's what happens. They have, and this is, this can apply to work. This can apply to reselling. This can apply to anything you're doing. In the sense that, you know, you look at that student and that individual is miserable because they have all this missing work and they have to fail the class. They still have to redo the class. Yep. Right. Then they have pressure from their parents. They have pressure from the, from the administration. They have pressure maybe from their peers. Their self-esteem gets shot. Like it's, it's a really bad place to be in. Yep. And the whole time, you know, again, let's let's. Fast forward it. Let's say it's, uh, you know, you're at a job, right? You choose to do nothing. You choose to perform poorly. You get written up. You get spoken to by the manager. You end up, you know, going home. Maybe you're you're married and your spouse is like, what's going on? Bills are stacking up. It's a really difficult place. And the whole time you're trying to justify your actions like, hey, it's because of so-and-so or I'm not getting paid enough or I don't agree with this. And you yeah. And you lay the blame everywhere. And it has to be a miserable place to be in. Yeah. And that's the idea of like, you're literally going to do nothing. Uh, but 
But I think people do nothing while pretending to do something. And that takes more work even, right? Like I remember this, I, I did this when I first was in the workforce and had like the first like office job, right? Like where it's, you got to sit in an office and you have to answer so many phone calls and send so many emails. And you spend more time, or at least I did, making it look like I was being very productive than if I'd have just been productive. Like I, I'd rather spend the time like listening to some music and like doing some stuff with my desk, talking to people. But then I had to make it so that my bosses thought I was working really hard. So I had to like send the right kind of emails and then double check like, oh, did I do this? And like you spend so much work doing nothing that it would have been easier to have done my job, right? So like, your job becomes your cover. For, yeah, the cover, right? And and it's so easy to do that. People do it all the time. In fact, it says here, it takes tremendous effort to exist on this planet as an underappreciated and underplayed em underpaid employee and even more energy to make sense of it. And that kind of goes back to what you were saying, the like you could point the blame and you could say it's cuz I'm underappreciated, I'm underpaid, and it's like that takes a lot of effort to deal with that, you know? And it you could probably spend less effort to change your situation, be in a better situation, or actually do the work that you're only pretending to do. The hard part about that is recognizing that, you know, because I know a lot of people that function like that. I've probably have functioned, I probably function like that. It's not, yeah. Maybe I'm functioning like that right now, but I hope not now. But, uh, but unless there's someone that you highly respect or unless there's kind of a life changing event, it's really hard to break out of that. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the nice things is, you know, it's kind of a cliche at this point in, in, in time, but like kind of the hit and rock bottom. Right. And I feel like a lot of people need to be there. Like the nothing phase, I feel is one of the fastest ways to get to rock bottom. Yeah, I agree. Right. And so once you get to that place, like I'm even thinking about that, like is is not off topic, but kind of off topic as it is. Like my diet has been terrible. My exercising has been terrible. And I keep making excuses why I'm not on it. I am not like dieting. Well, I'll start next week or like, you know, I've just got so much going on. And then I get to a place where it's like I'm physically miserable. Like I don't feel good because of the junk that I'm eating. I don't feel good because I'm not exercising. I'm not sleeping as well. And it, it's actually more work to not be exercising. And if I was exercising and eating right, I'd feel better. I wouldn't be as miserable. You know, it's like that one bite of the donut or whatever does not make up for the amount of misery that I feel. But yet it sometimes it takes getting to the place where you just feel so miserable. So just like, oh, I can't take this anymore. And then you're like, I'm changing. I'm going to do something about it. And so it's kind of a gift in some ways to get to that rock bottom place, that ultimate misery, that being underappreciated and underpaid to say, like, do something about it. Agreed. I can't. I mean, that's exactly what Grant Cardone is arguing in a roundabout way than we are <laughs> in the sense that he's saying it's better to have action than inaction. Yeah. Period. Now, he does take it a, a step further by his fourth degree of action. Right. And it's basically massive action. Yeah. But first, you got the second one, which is retreat. Right. Which is almost worse than to do nothing. You're moving backwards all the time. Right. Which takes a lot of work. Yep. And then what was the third degree? Um, third degree is take normal levels of action. So yeah. You're just being that's, average. Which that's where most about. people are at. Right. Yeah. Just take normal. So what is what is this idea of massive action? Why does he feel like that's the best? Well, because in the end. Hey, OK, let me read it. Yeah, every time I've been labeled, it's always been by someone operating. Well, let me rewind a little bit. So he talks about massive action is you aren't thinking in terms of how many hours you work. When you start operating at the fourth degree of action, your mindset will shift. So will your results. You'll end up instigating opportunities that you have will have to address later, later and in different ways than you would on a normal day. The routine day will become a thing of the past. So to me, it's you're doing everything i mean it's 10x i mean it's there's no better way to just say it. it's 
you are definitely going next level. And I think <laughs> so funny. I just made this is going to be another edited video of Mike adjusting the mic. So if you haven't caught that on Instagram, it's there. Now, I really this is where, what I'm talking about. So I think, you know, there's this kind of this pushback right now happening. I see a lot in social media like there's too much hustle, too much hustle, right? Life shouldn't be all about hustle. But I do think there's a time when that's all that it should be. Yeah, I think that's where I'm I'm maybe I'm I feel like it has to be in its right place because Grant Cardone is the kind of guy that pushes for he literally says massive and extreme action to the point where it is it is all consuming, right? Like and and if you want to make it big like honestly, a lot of times people look at the people at the top of companies, the CEOs, maybe lawyers or the the doctors who've made it the furthest and they kind of almost envy like, man, they make so much money and they have this cush life and all of this stuff. But to realize that that person had an almost inhuman amount of focus and drive, right? Like if you consider the the, the countless hours and hundreds of nights with with no sleep and not talking to family and not having a social life and and it it takes that to be there. I just think not everybody is cut out to be there. And I don't think everybody needs to be, but I do think there needs to be the realization that you can't just look at that person and say, I wish I was there. You also have to recognize I can get there or have more likely of a chance of getting there, but it's going to take the same amount of sacrifice that they're making. See, like me, I'm willing to go pretty hard on this reselling thing, but I also have a full-time job and I also have a family. And so I have to say, I'm going to go 10 times in four different categories, which isn't 10 times 100% on anything, right? So it's just different. It looks different, I think, for different people. No, I agree. I My my experience, and again, it's all anecdotal, but anybody I know that's been successful, there was a time, and it might have been two years, it might have been five, it might have been 10, or it was all-consuming. Like I, I don't know very many people that it just was a slow and steady. You know, I, I think... It might have been steady. They might have had to been patient, but they the entire time are taking massive action Mm -hmm. and they're pivoting when they need to pivot. Right. And again, we're not gurus. We're just sharing what we're learning from the book and from our own experiences. Yeah. And it brings up this idea that that massive action, in some ways, you have to be prepared because this massive action is actually the level of action that creates new problems. And until you create problems, you're not truly operating the fourth stage of action. And he, he kind of runs this idea that if you think like going harder is going to make your life easier, it's not, it's going to make it harder. You're going to run into new problems, but it's those problems become a sign of your success. Like if, and it's in a later chapter he mentions, but like the more successful you are, you're going to end up having so many people that you can't get to all of your customers and you're, you have to change the way you're doing things. And like stress goes up, you're creating new problems because of how successful you're being. But if you're afraid, if you shy away from those problems and just want the the steady, you're never going to have the massive growth that comes with those problems. No. So it's a weird way of thinking about it, like almost embracing the problem. Like the more problems I have, e- either indicates one, I'm a total failure and don't know what I'm doing and I'm messing up, or two, I'm doing everything really right and I'm moving towards. Well, like, I the think next step. I think the shift, and we'll, we'll talk to uh, talk to that when we get to that chapter. But I think the shift is if you are dealing with the same problems when you're growing, then you have a major problem, right? Right there, the problems, problems. That, yeah, you should have new problems. That's that's the key in all of it, right? So if you're reselling and you're having the same problems you had year one and year five, 
then there's a problem. Now, some problems might reoccur, but you're able to handle them pretty quick. But if you're having the exact same problem, whether it's organizing inventory, whether it's, you know, sourcing, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, that's what you got to think about. And I think that's in anything. I think that, you know, I know plenty of people that they tell me, well, Orlando, I used to struggle with this when I was first starting out my business. That's now, that's easy. Now my problems are this and the problems seem even more monumental. And so I 100% agree with it. Now, there's something I wanted to share with here on page 57. He says, he's, talk, he's talking about people that label him. Mm. And, I, and I find this to be very true. Uh, it says, yeah, every time I've been labeled, it's always been by someone operating at less than the fourth degree of action. I've never had someone who is more successful than I am considering my excess, excessive action to be a bad thing because successful people know firsthand what it takes to achieve the kind of success. They know themselves how to get where they want to go and would never identify massive action as undesirable in any way. Mm. And I got to tell you, and this is my own personal experience, whether it was when I was, you know, working towards my master's, whether it was when I was in education, when I, whether it was when I was an administrator trying to take the school to the next level. Anytime anybody had questioned whether I was moving too fast or doing too much or like, hey, Orlando, you got to take it easy. Or, hey, Orlando, you know, I'm really concerned about you. Or, or hey, Orlando, you know, you probably, you know, this isn't that important. And usually was individuals, and, and I, it sounds really arrogant, and I'm not trying to be arrogant about it. I'm just expressing the truth of the book. Usually it was individuals that were okay just being at a certain place. Yeah. Like they never sought more. Yeah. And it's almost like envy as it were like people. And, and it comes down to this. Like we see the same thing, even in comedy, there's this idea in culture, like it's okay. And it's normal for people to punch up, right? Like mm. if you're punching up, if yeah. you're like attacking the person that is, is, is moving beyond you or better than you, then it's okay. Or they're in a better position than you are, but it's never really okay. Like nobody punches down, like punching down would be like the bully thing. So like somebody's successful and then you're looking at somebody who's trying and they're doing, and you're just like, ha ha, you're a failure. Like that's not acceptable. But if you are, you know, kind of semi-successful and you look at somebody who's going too hard and you're like pointing at them, it's almost that punching up attitude because, you know, that's okay. Cause it's like, well, those people, you know, they're, they're kind of in a different category. Yeah. And I, and I agree, I would say I agree with Grant Cardone. So if you, if you're being, successful and things are going well and you are putting massive amounts of action and you have people that are questioning that aren't at your level. I don't think they have a platform. Mm. I just don't. Now, the only person I would say that that's probably not the case is your spouse. Right. That's a little different. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> but you got to be on the same page with your you got to be. But I'll, and again, we're not here to as <laughs> as marriage uh, counselors or anything. But I, I will tell you, out of all the relationships, that's one dynamic that's a little different. But outside of everything else, like if, if somebody, you know, and this is why I'm so super big on social media. Like I, I won't comment on other people and other people shouldn't comment on us because ultimately there are a lot of people that are taking massive action and are doing really well. So who am I who aren't being as successful and who it's my English is so bad, who isn't being as successful as they, they are being. Okay. Am I, am I good? Here? Sure. Keep going. No. <laughs> All right. Anyways, catch what I'm saying. Why, why would I have any platform or any right to say anything or judge at all? 
Yeah. And I think there is a place to say, like, there could be people who are successful and we could look at success and say, like, hey, the way you're achieving success is maybe shady or inappropriate. And there's always a place for that. Right. But that's a, that's different that's than different. massive yeah. action. That's that, unethical. Yeah, action. yeah. No, for sure. Now, um, one thing I noticed, though, is realistically, his style and his method works for the field that he was in and the field that he teaches people to do, which is selling. Right. So just think about this for a moment. He gives an example of, of when everybody else is going to bed and the clients tell him no, and he's still like calling them, they're out at dinner and he's still calling, he's still making calls and he's out doing, and people are like, why are you still up? Why are you doing this? Like, like what's wrong with you? Are you crazy? But if you're trying to sell, like I can make your salesmen, like they're going to be the best salesman ever. And you never let them go and you, they say no, and you call them back and you're showing up at their door and you're inviting them to parties. And like, it's the next day and you're still doing it. And they're like, this guy is a guy who's persistent. Sure, if you can teach my salesman to be as persistent as you are, I've got it, right? But with, for instance, with what we do, I think we could take that kind of action, but that kind of like over the top, like who cares what people think, like it actually benefits him for people to think he's a little crazy. But like if you were to go to a <laughs> customer, if you were to go to like a garage sale and you're pushing too hard on sales and they're kind of like, nah, I don't know. And you're still like going, going, going. I think at a certain point you're going to, you're actually making yourself worse off, right? Because depending on the environment, the type of environment, if you're trying to sell yourself as a salesman, yeah, keep going. 10 X is actually a good thing. It's kind of easy to say like, see, I, I don't know. Think you're crazy. I, I, I disagree. I, I think you, you 10 X it. Like if you want something, I mean, the worst that gets, the worst that happens is a no. Right. I mean, you could sever relationships. So obviously you got to be careful. So I'm not retreating, but I'm saying you, you like you said, you got to be careful in your, your environment. But Again, I, I'm I'm 40 now, and I, I've lived enough, I guess, life, and I still feel super young to understand that a lot of things that I would have in the past gone like I don't know, like I, I don't know if I want to talk to this person, I don't know. I, I give you, I give you an example. I remember one time the CEO of Costco was there, the this billionaire guy. Mm -hmm. I can't remember his name right now. Um, there's two of them. Maybe well, I'll pull it up while we're talking. So I'm at Costco. And I see him there and I'm kind of like, ah, uh, you know, is he open to have a conversation with me? Right. And I kind of hesitated and, and I, I was a little worried about, oh, James Senegal. Mm. And, you know, everybody was like hesitant, like no one wanted to speak to this guy. And then I just, it just crossed my mind. I remember actually I left Costco. I went to my car, I sat in my car and I turned to my wife at that time and I said, I really want to talk to CEO uh, of Costco. But I'm so intimidated, like, what's he going to think? What's he going to end up, blah, blah, blah. And I just for, forget this. I'm going in. I went in. And I seriously, I just went up to him and said, and I said, Mr. Senegal, may I, can, can we talk? I just asked some questions. And so I wanted to share with him about, you know, business and, and you know, his motivations and so on. And he could have, all, all that would have happened is him said no. And that's it. No one would have remembered. I'm a nobody to this guy. And instead, I got huge amounts of wisdom, and he actually spent 15 minutes. He was like a grandfather. Like, he huh. pulled me to the side. He actually, first of all, took a picture with me. He told his entourage, like, hold up. Let's take a picture together. I took a picture with him. And some of the stuff he shared, I mean, it was great. And so I could have, at that moment, said, no, this isn't the proper, proper time. This isn't the proper place. But I would never have that opportunity again. And I go, I know it sounds silly and, and so on, but to me, that was a huge deal because the stuff that he shared with me still sticks with me to this day. That's good. Right. So you, you got to take those opportunities, understand the worst that you'll get is no. And I know this is common sense, but I think it's 
part of that 10x that you got to take that massive action and get out of that comfort zone. And like we said before, you got to be willing to hear the no. That's good. Cool. Are you ready for uh, next chapter? Average is a failing formula. Do you have something you want to... You know, average is... I think it's the same message. It is, but there's some things in here that I thought was pretty interesting. So uh, one of the things, I mean, obviously talking about people being average, um, like it's almost becomes an addiction, he says. And one of the things that was mentioned in here is it says that the the top people, the CEOs, the most successful people in in the, the country, in the United States, claim to read 60 books a year. Whereas the average person who is average, right? Or like not as successful, maybe reads one or two. But if if you're a Purosol podcast listener, you're on book three. Yeah, right. You're already getting it. Just letting you know. Now, now above average. Here's the funny thing though. So I was listening to a different podcast the other day. It's like an economic podcast. The guy's talking about like, you know, stocks, whatever. And he actually quoted something similar to this, like the statistic about that. And somebody called in and basically like thought he had like an aha in your face. He's like, yeah, well, if I was a multimillionaire, I'd have time to read 60 books a year too. Right. And the, the guy doing the podcast is like, are you kidding me? He goes, do you know how many countless hours and how many nights when you're at home on a weekend, enjoying a weekend with your family, these people are like still at work, still working, still in meetings, still like it's it's that mentality of like, well, they must just have it easy. And there are people like, you know, old money that they just kind of just do nothing but they're on yachts, but that doesn't last very I've long. I've never met anybody. I never have okay. either. But okay. but but just that idea though that like people like I'll I'll just say a quote that I gave several weeks ago was, you know, when Bill Gates was asked if he could have any superpower, what would it be? And it was read books faster. Uh Warren Buffett spends hours every day reading articles, reading newspapers and reading books, right? But he still is managing companies and he's still working and he's still, he probably puts in more actual work thinking and, and managing and moving the things around than I ever do in a day, right? And it's, so for me to say like, well, I, if I had the same kind of time he had, it's like, no, he has the same time I do. And he actually probably works way harder than I do. And he still finds time to read because it's, it's productive. And so kind of this idea that like, don't find that place and say like, well, average people do this step out of that and find the things like what are the things the most successful people are doing and it does take time to say like you know what i'm busy i worked an eight hour day and now i'm gonna go spend another four hours doing resale and then i'm gonna spend two hours reading a book because you know what? i want my next week to be better than this week that takes a lot of work no it does i reading is one of those things that when i jumped to reselling full-time went away Oof. And then this our level up review pushed me back into reading. And I've actually read other books outside of our Purosol podcast books. And so, yeah, I mean, it's it's very easy because you go, this won't be applicable, mm-hmm. right? This won't apply. This isn't giving me the you know profit loss chart. Like it's not helping me there. But the reality is, if anything, at least the books we've been reading, you know, financial sound advice from the richest man in Babylon. Tim Ferriss kind of gives you a mindset kind of like same with the Grand uh-huh. Cardone, right? And so it's kind of one of those things. I I picked up this book thinking that it was going to be all about real estate and I wanted to learn because that's the next step for me is real estate. And then it's not about that. No, not at all. And but I'm not wasting my time. Yeah. Like I, I'm actually, these things really have made major implications in my own life about, okay, how am I running my systems? Yeah. And I think too, just thinking about like, Okay, reading is one format. And as an English teacher, I'm I'm one of the first ones to say, like, I, I think reading print or or even digital copies of like long form text is a good idea. I'm always gonna advocate for that. But we live in a time where, you know, there was a time when books were new, there was a time when newspapers were the new big media. And 
there is things now like podcasts and YouTube videos. And that Audible. Can, and well, when these things become like, so if you're spending an hour and a half twice a week listening to Pierce's podcast, you're probably also spending time. Keep doing that. Yeah, thank you. No, but that, what I'm saying is you're also, this is educational. Everything we're doing is yeah. educational. And so same with probably the other podcasts you listen to, whether it's, you know. Uh, I thought you are advocating, advocating like, don't listen to us no, no. And, and pull up Grant Cardone's 10X rule. No, what I'm saying, <laughs> no, the point I'm trying to make Which is, is fine. that our, the listeners who spend the time to 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 listen to things about reselling or to listen to things about fitness or whatever their thing is, and they spend hours a week listening to the podcast, that's the same thing. They're getting the same types of information they get reading. They're just getting it through a different format. So the idea is there's some people who go home and just watch TV, you know, like, oh, Netflix just got Seinfeld. So they don't listen to any podcasts. They don't watch any YouTube videos. They don't read any articles on the internet about the field they're in. They're never growing. But if instead of just watching Netflix, and just kind of lounging around, you're doing something, whether it's reading a book, whether it's, and I think that's the idea of averages, don't do what the average people do, because if you do, you're going to get the same results as everybody else. And if that's not what you want, and he actually goes a step further, he says, average doesn't work in any area of life. Anything that you give only average amounts of attention to will start to subside and will eventually cease to exist. And I heard years ago, something that has always stuck with me, which is you're either moving forward or you're moving backwards, but you're never staying in the same place. You can never stagnate. Like it's, it's that way with health, right? Like you can't, nobody ever stays the same place. You're either getting more healthy or less healthy. You're either getting more fit or less fit. You're either getting more wealthy or less wealthy. Like it's very difficult to stay in the same place. Now you might be making micro movements. So like one day you lose a little, the next day you gain a little. So over the course of a month, you're in the same place, but you're always moving one direction or the other. And so instead of just being average and staying in the middle and slowly losing, you got to be taking those steps to be moving forward, moving forward, moving forward. Agreed. So don't be average. Don't be average. Right. Straight up. <laughs> Straight up. All right. So let's talk about these 10X goals. 10X goals. So this is, I will tell you, this is the part that I struggle with the most out of all of them. Huh? I, I just can't wrap my mind around thinking 10X. And we had to, I think people on YouTube had discussed this and I think in DMs about it, you know, it's easy to think like 2X, 3X, 10X. So if we were to take 10X to the next level, like let's say you're, you're a six-figure seller and you make 100K a year, that means you end up being a seven-figure seller, mm -hmm. right? And so that's that's a huge move. Mm -hmm. Like that that's, that is massive action. That not only is it massive action, if it's reselling, it requires a lot of risk. I think it requires a lot of major risk, right? So this is why I struggle because, and we'll talk about this later. I think it's, I think it's like chapter 14 where, you know, where he's talking about, everybody talks about saving mm -hmm. and he thinks it's contraction and we'll talk about that. But there's a part of me that goes, there's a, there's a place for being, I know I'm going counter what I just said last chapter to be prudent. Right. To be wise in your action. So but let me read, you know, the initial paragraph here. He says, the reality is that if you start small, you're probably going to go small. People's failure to think big enough usually means they will never act big enough, often enough or persistently enough. After all, who gets excited about so-called realistic goals? And who can say excited about anything with an at best average payoff? And I understand it. It's not like I don't understand, but I struggle putting that into action. Mm. Where do you land on that, Mike? Yeah, I I definitely get where he's coming from. Um, 
but at the same time, like I, I, I think, I think it, it makes sense when you're thinking about yourself, right? When you're thinking like, I need to go big. I need to have the craziest goals I can get. Um, but I think you also need to have a certain amount of rationale. Like for instance, I, at my job not too long ago, I was really kind of encouraged by the administration at our work that required us to make a couple of goals, but they were very clear, like, Hey, when you make your goals, um, you need to make them, you know, something that can be measured, right? It needs to be a you measurable say goal. 10 exit. <laughs> it needs to be a measurable goal. It needs to be something that's like, um, actually going to be beneficial, but they said, but it also needs to be uh, realistic and like in the time frame that you give, like, don't, don't set yourself up for failure. That sounds like, so boring, Mike. But at the same time, as a person who who is doing all these other things, like I need to improve and I'm, you know, my goal is like, I'm going to do this thing with my students. Well, I could shoot for the moon and totally just be like, oh, there's no way I'm going to get this done this month because it's all this. But if I say like, okay, like I'm going to make it achievable, something that I know for a fact I can do, then there's more likely that I do something than if I make it too un unachievable then I might not do but anything. But isn't it, isn't it kind of like saying, you know what, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, but reality is I, I can only lose five, so I'm just going to lose five. Isn't it like you're no, limiting yourself? No, I, I, think, I, think, I think I'm more of like a micro goal and, and a macro goal. Like you need to have both. And so, for instance, if you are, just to give like a picture, right, of, of you know, an example. If you are a person who's, let's say, um, you struggle with, you know, some kind of addiction, alcohol, something, I don't know. You struggle with something, some kind of addiction. You're you're not working. You kind of just stay at home. You lay on the couch and uh, you're eating unhealthy and you've got all these things. Rather than say like, tomorrow I'm going to be like the all-American person that's like perfect and has my life together. You might say like, today I'm going to get up out of the couch. I'm going to shower. I'm going to get dressed and I'm going to get out of the house. Like then you do that and you're like, you know, what? I did something today. And then, and, and you kind of build on yourself and you build confidence and it's like, okay, I'm going to make my bed today. Right? Like this is something. And, and to, to be honest, for some people, it's like these little things. It's Isn't like, that you know average what? though? But, but if you are already below, and I'm just giving an example, like, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to say this in a way that that's like politically correct, but realistically, you know, realistically, like average for some people is, is victory. And I'm not saying that that's where they should stop, but if you are so far below and it's like, you know what, your best today is so far below the normal person's mi middle, you know, like, but you need to do something. Okay. No, I get it. I mean, there's times in life when that there's situations that call for that. Right. I mean, I've been through terrible times in life. And so some days it was getting my kids to school was a victory. And once you get, and the point I'm trying to make is once you get that one victory, it sets you up for the next one. You're like, you know, you don't, most people don't stop there, right? It's not like I made my bed today. Now I'm done. But it's like, you know, what? I did that thing. What's another thing that I can do? One little step that I might be able to achieve today. And you do that and you're like, you know what? I did this thing. And, and, and you kind of constantly are building and moving forward. But you also have to have that big macro goal of in the next five years, 10 years, I'm going to be this person. Okay. No, I get that. I mean, there's, there's a part where when you are dealing with difficult circumstances, you have to, you know, one day at a time, right? right. So you got one, you know, one foot in front of the other. And so you need those small victories to feel that you're moving forward. Right. Right. So, so I get that. I mean, so, yeah, I just think even, like, you know, I, I was a smoker back in the day. I smoked I don't know if you ever I, knew that. I did not. No, I, I smoked. Why do all these confessions happen on the podcast? Hey, That's I, all I wanted to know. I smoked a pack a day. Wow. I was a pack a day smoker. I mean, I, I smoked too, but like a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So I was a pack a day smoker and 
I was pretty much able to quit cold turkey. There was like, you know, sometimes there's like on again, off again, you know, cut down a little bit type of a thing. But it's one of those things where not everybody can go 100% on something. And if you just say like, not only am I going to quit smoking, but I'm going to be an ultra marathon runner tomorrow. Well, that might not be achievable. But if it's like, okay, I'm going to do this one thing. And then by in two years, I've, I've signed up for this thing and I'm going to do it. Like, I'm all for that. I just worry about like telling somebody who's a smoker, like, hey, guess what? Not only are you not going to be a smoker anymore, but you can do this thing. Then the first time they, they, they smoke a cigarette, they feel like they failed so badly that the goal is gone forever. No, it's like, I, I'm not this person. I understand. I, and that's why, this is what I mean. This is why I struggle with this concept of this chapter in yeah. the sense that I think it depends where you're at. Yeah. But I do like when he talks about like writing the goals down. he writes them as if not only does he go 10 times, but he writes them as if they've already happened. Like he gives examples like I own 5,000 plus apartments. I am in perfect health and physical condition. My net worth is over one. He says the goals as if they've already happened, almost like he's like trying to manifest them. Right. But C.S. Lewis has this analogy that he uses of like, if you want to be this person and you're not there, well, what do you do? And he kind of gives the, the like a man in iron mask explanation. Like you put on this mask, you got a, a, an ugly face, you don't look great, but you put on this mask of this beautiful person and you wear this mask. And over time, you eventually grow into that mask. And when you take it off, you're, you're that person that you wanted to be. Right. And the idea behind that was kind of the fake it till you make it. Like, well, no, a actions like, actions are followed by feelings right, in right. Sense, or or actions eventually get you to a place so whether you don't want to do something kind of like fake it till you make yeah. it yeah i hope we're not telling people to fake it till you make it but i think it's the better language is action over inaction yeah well and that and like you don't have to be feeling great to like smile and do your best right like you can feel terrible but you don't have to tell everybody like hey how's it going you're like my life is miserable and just you're like nobody wants to be around you but you if you're just like you know what I'm going to be happy. You know what? I don't really like this person, but I'm not going to be mean to them. I'm going to treat them as if I care about them. When they talk to me, I'm going to listen as if like what they say matters. And over time you develop empathy and you develop, oh, and agree. that's kind of yeah. the point is so like, I, I like the idea in some ways. I think there's a, a, a little bit delusional and he admits like, he's like, Hey, people will say I'm delusional. But for me to just be like, I'm, my net worth is a hundred million dollars. Like some people, and they've done studies and I, I've heard both sides of this, but like, when you do set a goal, don't tell anybody. Cause I, no, that's the latest research. Yeah. It, I just heard that too. Because if you don't tell anybody, because the moment you tell people, and I've done this before, it's like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to hike this mountain. I'm going to lose this weight. You get the, the endorphin rush when you tell somebody about doing it as if you've already accomplished it. And so you do that enough no, times. I, oh, wow. I, I, no, I, so when I heard that study, it made complete sense. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this is something you know about me. I really don't share goals. I really don't. I mean, I I've, I don't think you've ever heard me on the podcast. I mean, you've heard some things, but you never heard me say like I want business related. Yeah, but yeah. you never heard me say I want to make this dollar amount right. or I want to own this amount of properties right. or I want to, you know, whatever it is, whether it's my health. You've never I will never talk about my health yep. ever. One, because I think it's not that exciting. <laughs> and two, it's for that very reason, right. because I have done it where I'm like, oh, you know, I da da da, da and I feel good. And then I don't do you never it. Never do it. But you've already got that feeling like you but accomplished But the crash it. is terrible. Yeah. Nope. It's such a terrible crash because now you feel really sheepish and then you have to face the music. Yep. And to me, it drives more shame, which causes you to do even less because you should feel shameful. Yeah. But I do think, so I, I think, I think that's right. I think you should, you've got to be careful with that. That's one of the ways I'm like writing this I am statement. It's a little tough because you're basically in some ways you've convinced yourself you've already achieved it. And so you get the endorphin rush. But at the same time, if it changes your mindset and if you act, 
because we've talked about that. Like your actions lead to results. And so if you act every day and take all the actions that a person who's worth $100 million would take, the way you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you do those things, then over time, you're going to be a lot closer to getting that than if you act like a person who is making you know, $50,000 a year and blowing it all, right? Like if you, that's the person you're acting like, eventually, I mean, that's the person you're going to be. And so, yeah, I, I definitely think there's something said about like, like kind of acting like you're there, even if you don't have it. But one thing I do appreciate is the writing down of the goals though, because when you write them down and I like the idea that he says daily, and maybe this is something that like we could just like challenge like us to do and readers to do, like pick one or two goals, like writing them down, actually articulating them helps because sometimes you don't even know what you're aiming at but write it down every single day. So it feels weird because it's like, I've already written this down yesterday, but every day, because then it just makes it fresh in your mind. Like today, am I taking steps to be that thing, that goal? Am I going to achieve it? Or was it like, oh yeah, three weeks ago, I wrote that thing down. I totally forgot about it. Remind yourself every day. It takes, it takes a lot of discipline. It does. I, but it, it doesn't. Like, what does it take? 30 seconds to write something down? That on takes, a piece of for me, that takes discipline because I have to find that that's important. If I don't find that it's important, I'm not going to do it. If I discipline myself to do it, whether I, like we talked about, mm -hmm. whether I care about it or not, then I'll get it done. That makes sense? I mean, but that's what he's arguing to do. So maybe, maybe like if, if what he's saying is true, then it is important and we have to like mm -hmm. believe that it's important. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think there's something to be said for writing goals down. Um, but if you write your goal down once the beginning of the well, year, I'm not disagreeing with yeah. writing them down. I just say, I just don't like doing them. Yeah. Well, I That's mean, it. try it and see, see, maybe, maybe we do it for a week. We write down like one or two goals for, for a couple of weeks. And the next time we do the 10 X rule, we don't even have to say what the goal is, but just actually write it down every day. Did you day. meet your 10 X goal, Mike? But you, we could at least say, did you write it down every day? Yeah. No, I get right? that. And, okay. and, and see, like we can come back and say like, I wrote it down every day and it was a waste of time. Or it could be like, you know what? It caused me to think about it. It was at the forefront of my mind every single day. And I took actions that I would have totally forgot to take had I not wrote it down. So who knows? We'll see what happens. Are we starting that today? We started today. Started today. So next level up review, we will hold each other accountable. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's a lot better than calling a bunch of people and getting no's. Yeah. From our all right. Better. Well, okay. Let's flip the script a little bit though. Let's get, let's get back to Cardone world. So, yeah. so he had talked about, I want to share two quotes here. Page 71, he says, the bigger and more unrealistic your goals are, the more aligned to your purpose and duty, the more they'll energize and fuel your actions. I 100% agree with that. I, I think when your goals are like, hey, I'm just going to, you know, it's kind of one of those with reselling. What I recognized real quick when I said, well, I just want to make enough to be able to pay the bills and do a little bit extra. That's all I did is mm. I made enough to pay the bills and do a little bit extra. And then when unforeseen circumstances happen, whether it's, you know, a glitch or whether, you know, I don't know, the market turned, whatever it is, and like, hmm, I wish I did more. Yep. Right. So that's something that I actually right now, it's super practical. Now, page 73, I think this is huge. And I, I, I hope, I don't know, I'll see where you land on this, but he says, I truly despise the word realistic because it is based on what others who have probably been operating only the first degree. Wait, did I read this? It sounds a lot like the other quote, doesn't it? A lot of his stuff is repetitive, but repetitive super, is good. Okay, That's, let me read. It it's, sounds it's the key to learning. But repetition. doesn't it sound like two chapters ago, like yeah. word for word? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I truly despise the word realistic because it's based on what others who have probably been operating at only the first three degrees of action have accomplished and believe possible. 
realistic thinking is based on what others think is possible, but they are not you have no way of knowing your potential and purposes. If you're going to set goals based on what others think, then be sure you do it based on what giants on this planet think. They'll be the first to tell you don't base your goals on what I've done because you can do even more. Yeah. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. Yeah, and I like that, but I don't like the term realistic needs to be defined. I'm a big word guy. And so if you're using the word literally realistic, there is something that is realistic. And so somebody can use the term realistic loosely and be like, oh, that's not realistic when it is possible, when they mean like that's not that's unlikely. But the real word actually means like realistic. Is it possible? And there are some things like if someone's like, it's not possible then to say like, oh, I don't care about what you say is possible. I, I remember I was doing a, a weight loss challenge one time on the internet and it was on this forum that people were typing and somebody was trying to explain what they're doing to lose weight and somebody corrected him and it was actually like a professional, like bodybuilder person knew what they were talking about. They, they had their doctorates in nutrition, like super intelligent guy was explaining like, hey, that's actually not how science works. Like you can't be consuming that much calories and lose weight at the same time, like unless you spend. And he's explaining the science behind it. And the person said, I make my own science. And it's <laughs> wow, like, wow, that's pretty intense. Yeah. And it's like, that's well, delusional. That's delusional, right? So, like, the idea is there is a realistic. And I so, make my own science. Right. And so you that gotta, should be a shirt. <laughs> I make my own science. But like, there is something that's realistic. And so people use that term maybe too loosely, but you can tell somebody, like, hey, your goal is unrealistic. And that doesn't mean that you're saying, like, Hey, I just don't want you to reach your potential, but but your potential has a cap. It has a limit. Let's go back though to what we discussed earlier. It's okay that that individual who was far more knowledgeable had a lot more experience to tell that individual that. Do you know what I'm saying? If it was somebody else randomly on the forum with no experience or anything saying that, then the guy shouldn't. I know it sounds crazy, mm -hmm. but probably shouldn't listen to that individual. Right. And this is what he, but that's exactly what Cardo is okay, saying. I can here. see that. Yeah. That's if the true. giants are telling you, well, so this guy yeah. literally was probably a giant, a giant yeah. is telling this guy, like, this isn't doable, then yes, then that's rational. But if it's a, and it's kind of one of those things, like, I, I will never, Mike, tell you how to get in shape. Like, that's just not my place. I have no degrees. I have nothing to prove that. But let's say, you know, five years from now, <laughs> things change and I end up in all this and I know more than you and I'm a giant and I understand then I have the right, right. Right. So again, I keep saying this, unless those individuals have a proven platform, then what they tell you, I will say is irrelevant to what you're trying to do. I think that's good. I, I mean, I don't think a person has to be an expert in order for their opinion to be valid, but I do think that what you're saying is right. And I think that, that I, I probably even, misunderstood the quote and went too far because if it is talking about people who are only at the first three people who are average telling you what's unrealistic yeah maybe they don't have the authority right to make a claim about you know what's actually realistic because they don't know what's realistic but you're right if it's somebody who understands what what the limits are then then their their advice has more value and more weight yeah that's good all right are you ready for uh Competition is for sissies. Yeah, that was what I was talking about earlier. That's pretty intense. In fact, 
Yeah, he he was pretty intense about what he was even thinking about naming this. But chapter. think about that. That's so contrary to what we think about, right? I when I think first of all competition, like I think of that head football coach yep. that's like. You're a bunch of sissies for not yeah. being competitive. Get on that field. It's halftime. You should be destroying these people. Instead, it's halftime, right? What if this is a game and the head coach goes, competition is for sissies. Yeah. Completely doesn't make sense. But only until you realize he just 10 x it and he said, competition is for sissies because you need to dominate. Like, there shouldn't even be competition. He's basically like, if they're able to compete with you, you're not dominating. You're a sissy. Like, you need to be so far above the competition that they're not competition for you anymore. That is so intense. Right? Like that's the like, at first, you, yeah, you, your first reaction is like, oh, competition is for sissies because only sissies would compete. Real, you know, successful people dominate. Eh, yeah. That's, he, that's 10x, he, man. He, he 10x it. So I can't say next level. We'll just say it's 10x. Dominate. We'll just say dominate. We'll say dom it's time to dominate. <laughs> the dominate review. All right, guys, we're going to dominate. All right. That's what I feel like he's saying right now. But okay, so page 78, he clarifies, right? Well, he didn't clarify. He just defines it. Never make it your goal to compete. Instead, do everything you can to dominate your sector in order to avoid spending your time chasing someone else. Oh, that's so huge. Yep. That's so big. Yeah, but he, he goes on to say, too, though, like, that doesn't mean you don't study and learn and take the best practices from your competition, right? Because we all should be doing that. But he's saying, don't be stuck there. Figure out what they're doing well. Do that thing well but then also do things that they're not even thinking of better than they could even imagine doing it. And right. And that's where he brings up even that idea comes up again of you're going to run into new problems because if you're innovating in a sector, if you're doing things that nobody else is doing, you're going to run into brand new problems. And that's a good thing. If your business is facing problems that no other business is facing because you're the first one in, in a marketplace doing something the way you're doing it. Um, I almost wonder for reselling what that looks like. Um, I can tell you what it looks sure, like. Sure, tell me what you think it looks like. Well, this is Orlando's definition. Uh -huh. So he discusses about getting that unfair advantage, right? That you you need to get the unfair advantage that you're doing something that others aren't. And I think in the reselling world, this idea of dominate is, number one, it's okay. So, you know, on social media all the time, we're comparing, right? Whether we want to or not. And I don't want to speak for everyone, but I know myself. I'm pretty good about not doing it, but there are times I go, I've been doing this for about seven years. Why am I not doing what this person is doing? Mm. How come this person has this, these many sales? Why are their numbers here? Like I, I start thinking that instead I should be thinking, okay, what am I not doing to dominate a certain field? Whether it's dominate a certain niche, dominate the way I'm networking, dominate, ways that I'm I'm making sales differently than everybody else. Like that's what I think it looks like, right? Because for example, there are certain things I will say that especially when, just get really practical in Q4. Like you don't want to compete with other sellers in Q4. I really think you will lose if you compete with other sellers, especially in the Amazon game. But if you find those items and you source those items and you 10x it, and you dominate, that's where this applies, right? Because I think what ended, and I think what happened to me last year was I was too much thinking about competition and I had areas where I could have dominated, dominated and I had an unfair advantage and I didn't take it. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I mean, that definitely does make sense. And one of the things he says, like, I feel like with that, I think there is an element when you said like, you look at other sellers and like, well, 
what are they doing that I'm not doing? I do think that is healthy. I do think you should at some way and some level be saying, are they doing things that I should be doing? Right. No, not I that, agree. Not that I, I'm, not, I'm not discounting completely. that. No, I agree. Now, That's why we do our podcast. Exactly. Now, but what he says though, that, that, which is what you're talking about is doing what others refuse to do. And what that looks like could be different depending on what your model of selling is or whether or not you're applying this to selling, reselling or to other areas of your life. But what are the things other people refuse to do? Is it staying up later? Is it is it doing extra work? Is it making the five extra phone calls? Like, what is that thing that nobody else is willing to do? Well, it reminds me of Gary Vee's Crushing It book, right? He gives all these examples of people that were doing things that other people weren't doing. Do you know what I'm saying? And I mm-hmm. can't remember. I wish I could remember the specific examples. But those of you that read it or listened to it, right? He talks about... Certain people had certain niches that they really cared about and there really wasn't anybody in there, right? Mm-hmm. I, I give an example. There's not this example in his book, but um, lately he's had on his show, uh, there was a, a young gal that was all about slime. Hmm. And had remember slime was like big in the 80s and 90s, right? You can't do this on television, on uh-huh. Nickelodeon. Are you too young to remember that show? No, I remember slime. Okay, all right, right? And, and then kind of slime went away. Right. And now slime is huge. It was huge last year. And so there was a a teenager who had figured out that, you know, slime was something that people liked and and decided that they were going to make their own slime and design design how to make different kinds of slime. And now this individual goes and runs conventions about slime. Yeah. Right. And so they gained that unfair advantage, right, in the market. Right. I, I think about I don't know. I don't want to get too much into toys, but there are certain toys that people didn't think about that. You know, a lot of people are thinking like action figures, people are thinking Legos. And then there's like this toy that you're like, who would have ever cared about an egg? Yeah. Right. But it's different. It's out there and it dominated. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's true. It's good. And, and one of the things that the quote from this, and I think the slime goes perfect with that is you don't have to be the first in the space, but it is important to be considered the first in the space, right? Like, so you don't have to be the first one to that market. So that is almost encouragement too. Like just because you're not the first one to pick up on a new trend, doesn't mean that you can't be the person known for that trend. Like, Hey, some people are doing things well. And we see that even with all of the new platforms that are coming out, right? Like there's, there's a new platform I feel like for reselling every couple of weeks. And you could say like, there's already these platforms. Seriously, but, every couple of weeks. But eventually one of them might be that thing that's like, this sticks, this ends up dominating. Like when Facebook first came out, like it was nothing compared to MySpace. It was not the first social media, <laughs> MySpace. right? But it dominated. Like yeah. it took over because it did, it came into the same field and it said, huh, MySpace is doing this and this, and maybe we can do this this way. And so how can we do that as resellers? Like, how can you say like, hey, I wasn't the first one to figure out like, you know, Legos are a thing or Morel shoes. Like there's a lot of people selling used Morel shoes, but how can I dominate? How can I be the person known for that? How can I, how can I source them faster, better, cheaper than anybody else and be the person who's listing? Like, like what can you do to be that person? Even if you were like, I don't want to say you stole the idea from somebody else, but you know, when it comes down to just being the most industrious and being the one that's going to work the hardest, you know, it, it, it pays off. And I do, and I do think reselling this step towards that other unfair advantage you know because ultimately i think there's only so much movement and again maybe this is my limited 1x thinking 
But I think there's only so much movement that you could do in reselling as far as gaining that unfair advantage. But, you know, this is why people do private label, mm. right? This is why people go into other areas of entrepreneurship or they offer a different service that resellers need that others haven't thought about, right? So we have all these cross-posting things, right? Right now you got Vendu, you got Sawhound, you got List Perfectly. I'm sure another one's coming, right? These are individuals that thought differently. They created an unfair advantage. Unfortunately, all those coalesced at the same time, mm. which is kind of crazy how that happened. Yeah. Right, had one of them figured this out two years ago, they would have been so ahead of the game. Yeah, but that's not the way the free market works. Is because the moment they come out, competition is already there trying to, and, and that's one of the beautiful things about capitalism for the consumer is that the moment a new technology comes out, yeah, it might suck that one company spent all of the time research, development, innovating it in the first place. They come out with it, and then somebody else takes the the base idea and go, you know what, that is a good idea, but I can make it a little bit better and cheaper. Right. And so they might not have come up with the idea in the first place, but then that's not bad even for that first company because then they don't get to just rest on their laurels and be complacent and say, like, we've got the product in the market that people want. They have to say, okay, we were the first here, but if we want to stay first here, we have to keep providing a better product at a better price that is going to help our consumers. And so it, it ends up, it's beneficial to everybody that, that we have this kind of a system. Um, well, if we talk about platforms, I mean, <laughs> we see it, right? We see it when Poshmark put in send offer, right? And Poshmark, that was an unfair advantage. A lot of people love that, right? And then eBay figures we need to do this, right? So ultimately it helped everybody else. Amazon and, and fast delivery mm -hmm. and, and we'll talk about this in the next podcast, Amazon finding ways to get more sales or or figuring out ways to get repeat buyers, like that's shifting everybody. Mm. And it's also shifting Walmart and it's shifting other companies. Walmart is willing to lose a billion dollars, which isn't a lot for Walmart, but willing to lose a billion dollars to innovate to beat Amazon. Yeah. That's right. Huge. So anyways. Now, before we move on out of this chapter, there's one more thing I just want to kind of touch on. It says this, it says weak markets, because it kind of talks about, you know, even when things get rough. Weak markets actually create opportunities because the players in those markets typically become dependent and weak because they don't know how to operate in a more challenging environment. And we've talked a lot, probably ad nauseum, about possible recession, right? But just the idea that as things get more challenging, in some ways it's good for the people who are willing to hustle harder because it's going to weed out the people who are, are just doing the surface level thing because it's easy and it's the way they want to do it. So even though the market gets more difficult, it actually might get easier for the people working harder because all of their competition starts to go away because it's not easy, right? Like it's almost like it's a it's it's a, a paradox, right? If you think I about think it. we're going to be in such a different place if recession hits. I think our podcast is going to be in a different. I think all of it's going to be different. I mean, well, for sure, it's going to be different, but it's. I, I think I think the hardest hustlers are going to actually come out ahead. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, it's. Because I think the major thing that's going to have to happen is adapting. I mean, right now, I mean, it's not as good as it was a few years ago. But right now, I mean, it's it's pretty easy to make money reselling, right? I mean, again, I use the word lightly, easy. Like, there's a lot. You know, you got to source, you got to take pictures, you got to ship out, all that. But what I'm saying is it doesn't take much within a couple of weeks to get started on an eBay business. It doesn't take much to get started on an Amazon business. Yeah, there's hoops you got to jump through, but it's totally doable. But in a recession, I don't know. Well, now, 
others have said that they triple their income and things get a lot better. But I think that comes from a place of people that 10 X, yep. you know? All right. Any more about sissies and competition? No, I think that's good. Okay. All right. Breaking out of the middle class. I thought this was an interesting chapter. Chapter yeah, 11. It's interesting. <laughs> you're not too, you're not too happy with this one. Uh, I'm, I am of the mindset and just to kind of give you like the general overview of what the chapter was about. Basically it was like people strive for the middle class or upper middle class. And they think that that's kind of the end goal. That's the American dream as it were. And his mindset is like, that's, that's a weak dream. That's a lame dream. You need to go more than that. Like the middle class is, is not doing it. It's actually not great. And I I get it. Like if you want to be, like I said, like the most successful, if you want to be in the 1%, like, yeah, the middle class is not where you want to be. But I also think that we have a tendency maybe more recently than in other times that, that at least that I've noticed for people in the, the middle class or even upper middle class to kind of complain about how hard it is to be in the middle class. And I just think like in today's day and age in our country where you've literally got climate control at your fingers in your house, you can set what temperature it's going to be. You've got like, you can, tra- you can get wherever you want to go without having to take you know, public transportation. If you're in the upper middle class, yeah. you've got a nice view. Like we have it so easy. And I get that. Like you might not want to be happy there and say like, okay, this is average. But at the same time, I'm not for people complaining about like, it's so hard to be middle-class. I kind of think like realistically though, like have a little bit of gratitude. This is a pretty good time to be middle-class because up until recently, there never was a middle-class. It was poverty or like the extreme elite. Well, and that was it. I mean, it, I get it. I do understand, though, the the idea that your perception is your reality, right? And I know I'm going to speak out of both sides of my mouth, so be ready for this. So on the one side, it's kind of like one of those things where you tell your kids, like, eat your dinner. Like, there's kids starving throughout the world, wherever. That, that kid doesn't care because that's not their reality, right? I remember when I was a kid, my parents would tell me that. I'm like, well, okay, but that's not my reality. Now. Things have changed. I, I really do think as a society, we're not, I would say, not as selfish when it comes to that. I think we have a greater understanding. <laughs> you might disagree. I really do. I, I, I think things have majorly shifted in the last few years. But then there's the other side where, yeah, I mean, if we, if you're making middle class, if you're making minimum wage, you're already in the 1% of the world by far. Right. And I, I do encourage you guys, we're going to have a, a hustle session with Latin pickers and they're going to share a story when they went back home and th- their story. If there's any ever a time when you, you will get a sense of like how different we see things. And I know a lot of, you know, and I, lo- I know a lot of you have traveled outside of the world, but we sometimes lose perspective. I mean, the money I make in one day on eBay is what entire families make in a, in a whole year. You know what I mean? So, so I get that perspective, but go ahead. Go ahead. Are you going to say something? Yeah. So, I mean, I get that. So if we were looking at extremes, like, okay, there's starving people in another country. And and I I totally understand that, that logic and that argument of how, okay, well, but that, that doesn't affect me. And I've got my own responsibilities. I got to feed my family. I guess the point I'm just trying to make though, is it's only been recently that there's been so many people who've had that such a large percentage of the population is not just wealthy in the, in the sense of the world, but has all of the things that would be considered just just what 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 you 
want, like all the things you need, like you have food, you have clothing, you have transportation, you have, you know, things that people a generation or two ago. And I get that that's not like the world we live in, but like could have only dreamed of. And it's not that, that we're, we have all those things. You could say like the poor in America are better off than wealthy in other countries, but, but that's tough to say. You I, know what I'm saying? Well, I get it's that. But, but what I'm saying though, is the middle class in America is not the poor. Like no. the point I'm trying to make is well, a lot of yeah. people in the middle class are almost doing this. Woe is me. Like I'm in poverty when it's like, that's not poverty. Not, not even look outside of our country, but you don't have to look outside of our country. Just look inside of our country. If you're middle class, which I don't think there's anything wrong with, I, I would consider myself middle, and middle class. Middle class is so wide. It's a, it's a wide, but any spectrum, even lower middle class, all the way up through upper middle class. Like if you're in that range, yeah, you're always going to want more and there's always more you could have, but like you have, you have so much. Like I just, the point I'm trying to make is like, there's less gratitude than there should be. There should be more gratitude of like, I almost feel like it makes you weak to say like, oh, I'm struggling so hard without like looking and being a little bit grateful and saying like, really, maybe I'm only struggling hard because like, I think that I need HBO and Showtime and I need to be able to eat out at fancy restaurants multiple times a week. And I need this and I need that. Like, that's all I'm saying. Okay. But all right, let's bring it back to what Cardone is. I, I really, I see what I, I do think Cardone is saying you need to shoot for more than middle class, but yeah. I think his mindset is, is right where it needs to be. So when I say on page 87 in the middle, he says, my client is at risk because he has been operating based on what he needs and therefore is just getting by. So I think the mindset is of, Hey, I've arrived. I'm at the middle class. Like, I think that's where things can put you in a bad scenario, right? Because especially if you're an entrepreneur, like at any moment you can go from being wealthy to being poor. I mean, not if you apply the principles from the richest man in Babylon, mm -hmm. but as entrepreneurs, I mean, if you follow the way Cardone talks about it, like you're always taking risk, you're taking massive risk. Right. And so I understand the mindset of like, you really have to shoot high to ensure your own financial security. And I think there's, there's value to that. I think when you get into this mindset of like, I need just to make enough to get by Especially if you have a family, I think you're you're in a. I, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I would be put myself in a bad place. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean it does. I think part of it too, like, and it's a different book, but we've we've referenced it a few times, like the Millionaire Next Door, and it kind of looks at studying people, a lot of multimillionaires, and how they live mm -hmm. their life, and kind of the shocking find in that book was many, maybe most people who are millionaires, not like the ultra deca millionaires or billionaires, you know, but most millionaires actually live what we would consider like a middle-class life. Agreed. And a lot of people with middle-class lives live what would be a millionaire life. And that I think is where the mindset issue is. Like people at the, at the million dollar level, a lot of them realize that I'm content living below my means. Whereas I feel one of the problems with the middle class, breaking out of the middle class mindset is, is people kind of feel like they need to have this life that's bigger instead of kind of looking at like, how can I, how can I live below while still setting myself up and, and, and moving towards a place of being better off. Right. I can't, I can't disagree with what you're saying. I think you're, you're right on. And I think that's, 
the reason why if we do have a recession and things go bad, it's going to be, but it's, it sounds like it's 08 again, right? Life of decadence trying to, you know, I, this is why I'm very careful about, I would say, uh, I'll be careful, but fast fashion. Like, I don't know if you know what that means, but it's, you know, getting the latest trends, mm, uh, you right. know, and I'm not defining it perfectly, but you know, we're talking about hype stuff. We're yeah. talking about that. Like that stuff concerns me because I, you know, right now the market will definitely allow for that to be successful. My concern is I wonder where that will land. If it becomes a thing where it's kind of like a luxury item, like it's art or it's whatever, you know, there's always that famous quote. I've said it before where in a, in a recession or a bad economic time, the first people to starve are artists. And so it's just something to think about in the sense when not, not only like in your own life, but in your own reselling business, like, okay, are you ensuring that you are not only striving high, but being in a place where you're, you're not catering to just high, I don't know, expectations or high, I don't know. Anyways, I don't know where I'm going with that, but let's go to the next one. All right. Um, all right. So the next one is obsession. Obsession isn't a is not a disease. It's a gift. I'll say that one more time because I kind of fumbled through it. Obsession isn't a disease. It's a gift. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. So let me start off. So he says on page ninety two, do we create a ten x reality? You have to follow up every action with an obsession to see it through to success. See, I don't, I don't. I, it's a tough one, but I don't struggle with it. Like, I, I think you need motivation to get there. I, I really, I, not only motivation, but you need obsession. Mm. Like motivation will kind of get you started. But I see, I, I don't know. And this is where you and I may disagree. I think to get to a certain place, like I will say when, to get full time for me, it took obsession. It didn't just take motivation. It took me like staying up you know, working, you know, from 9 p.m. to 2 a.m., getting up, working the next day. It took obsession year after year after year where I could finally say, okay, now I can go full time. Yeah. And, and he, he mentions here, uh, if you become obsessed with your idea, purpose, or goal, you will become equally addicted to the idea of making it work. And, and it kind of uses that, the, the same kind of phrases like obsession, addiction, and that kind of is what it has to be. I think any shun that deals with extremes will work. Well, I just think about it like this. Um, if you think about, I, there are some people, and I'm always going to use fitness because I feel like that's like the easy one to talk about because, yeah. you know, there are people who are obsessed. Like, that is their entire life. Like, the every moment that they breathe, eat, move, like, it's all, like, it's their obsession. And for those people, I'm not going to say it's easy because they put in a ton of work. But for them, it's their life. Now, for somebody else who fitness and 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 diet isn't going to be their life they, they they can try and be obsessed with it and they do for like a little bit and they get that like motivation to get started but i think that like for some people like that's just their thing and if it's your thing it's it's easier to follow and keep going what i would argue maybe is more important for some people than obsession if you try and you know it's the right thing like i need to be a better employee or i need to make more money and you get obsessed with it but that obsession is just like um there's kind of phrases like you don't need motivation right like because motivation goes up and down 
and obsession, I feel like can go up and down unless it's like one thing. Most people have like one or two things they can be obsessed about. See, I think obsession doesn't allow for the up and down. Well, obsession is like you're, you're just moving. Right. But I don't think obsession is something that, that you can choose. I don't think you get to just choose like, for instance, you right now, if you're like, you know, I want to be healthier you can't necessarily make yourself obsessed with fitness. You might try and you might have motivation for a few weeks, but that doesn't mean that like six months down the road, like you're eating, breathing, living this, like it's your entire well, life. I agree. It, but I would say if, if I want to, let's say, you know, I wanted to get in shape, right? Okay. So motivation could get me there. Right? I, I don't think so. I think motivation. I think, I think obsession will get me to, you know, I don't know, some next level like i'm competitively if, fit though i guess the point i'm trying to make is if you became obsessed you're gonna have success but not everybody i don't think everybody can become obsessed about just pick whatever you want to be making more money or or being a better husband or so you're saying fit. passion has to play a part no i'm saying okay. i'm saying passion obsession all those things i'm lumping in together motivation passion obsession uh, just put them into one pile okay? okay i feel like those things are great if you have them but i think there's certain things that like you'll have that for a moment for a time and then and then it goes away it waxes and wanes what i think is you need discipline i think motivation goes up and down but i think discipline more than obsession is going to be the thing and he kind of talks about like consistent action but so doesn't you, obsession drive discipline or do you think it, discipline it drives obsession I, I i think i think you have to separate obsession from it i think if you are disciplined about something obsession will come and go it'll ebb and flow right or you can be obsessed with something like the person who's obsessed with, I don't know, whatever it is, archery, or they're just obsessed with something and, and it, it's not work for them. It's easy for them. But that same person who's obsessed with archery, that same person who's obsessed with coding on computers or whatever their obsession is, it's not like they just are free to become obsessed with whatever they want to do. If you were to tell them like, you need to work on being a better employer, you need to, to go hardcore at, at, you know, stock markets or whatever, they can't just be like equally obsessed with that as their passion, right? Like you can't just force passion on you, but it might be the right thing, right? Like being a better reseller might be the right thing for you, even if you're not like, I love this stuff, right? So, but you can always have discipline. You can't always have obsession, but you can always have discipline. But I do think if you want a 10X, you have to have obsession. I, I, I Grant Cardone's formula, and if we had him on the show, Grant, if you're listening, you're welcome to be on our podcast. It doesn't work. Like you can't 10x without upset. Like you need upset. Obsession is what will drive you to be able to put in whatever you need to 10x. If you just have motivation, it'll get you started. But obsession will drive you through. I okay. I agree with that. I guess the point I'm trying to make is like for the average person, and not even the average, just 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 speaking. You're not allowed to be average. Okay, but like he can't just take that out of my 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 vocabulary. So um realistically speaking, you can't force me. I, I, I am obsessed with reading literature. I am obsessed with uh, board games. I am never going to have that same kind of obsession about making money reselling. I just won't. Now, that doesn't mean I can't be very successful and be disciplined doing it. I'll never be that obsessed with fitness, but that doesn't mean that I can't be disciplined. Now, I think somebody like Grant Cardone, it's in his blood. Somebody like and, and even, but like, I think, I think that, but I think what you're saying is hundred percent true. Cause we've talked about like, we're not, we're both on the same page that we're not looking to have warehouses. I right. mean, there was a point in time, I think you did want like empire, right? You I still am moving towards an empire, but it's not like, it's not necessarily. And we're, not, and we're not using empire language. We're just, we're not trying to build empires. We're just using that word. <laughs> so, but I, I, I think 
we're not up, and this is why we're not going to have those warehouses, at least not yet, because we're not obsessed. Right. If we were obsessed, we would do it and we would do it at the cost of other things to make it happen. And the point I, I guess I'm trying to make is this is being presented as if like, if you want, if you want to be successful in any area, you name it, you pick the area, just go 10x. Well, you also have to be 10x and somehow be obsessed with that thing. And I guess the point I'm trying to make is that that's not the panacea. That's not the solution for everybody for everything. So I think maybe a more helpful thing is this is what you need to do. You have to be obsessed if you are going to make it to the 1% of the 1% See, in the I field. Think you, I, think, I think, I'm not going to say you're wrong, but I do believe that in order to get to that level, you have to be obsessed. I just said you did. Wait, I thought you said... No, I said if you want to make it to the 1% of 1%, the top of the top, okay. then you have to be obsessed. You have to be obsessed. Yeah. All right, we're agreed. Yeah. The point <laughs> I'm trying to make, though, is to, to give a book to say, like, hey, pick any area of your life and, like, this is the, the, the method of getting there. I think you can make it maybe to the top 10% just by being disciplined. And there's... If you are listening to this podcast, I guess the point I'm trying to make is if you're like, you know what? I've tried... I'm doing this thing, but it is just not like, cause, cause your, your boy, Gary V has said multiple times, if you, your boy, if you can do anything else besides I have a being, whole other discussion about him being my boy. I, there's a change in discussion that's happening right now. Interesting. Well, you know, we go from hustle, hustle, hustle to, well, hustle, but be careful when you hustle. Mm. I don't know how I feel about that, but going back, anyways, to point, going back. So he's made comments. Like if you can do anything else besides go a hundred percent, like He's basically says, if I wasn't doing what I was doing, I'd be dead, right? Like, like that is where he is at. But that's passion. That's, that, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you need. So there's a couple of things. I, I, it's so hard to like be very like it's only this way and this way and this way, right? I, I think Grant Cardone, like you had brought up, like if you want to be LeBron James, like Grant Cardone says you can be. I don't think Grant Cardone is saying that, right? Remember that discussion we had yeah. last time. But I do think. As long as you're not, del well, you did say you could be delusional, but I think I have Mike's looking for a quote in here, but I do think as long as you're not delusional, I think the argument can be made and we're going to read this book in the future. I don't know how far into the future, this book called Grit, which I think is an excellent book. And I would say, don't wait till the level up review to read it. I would say, read it now along with this book is that. If you're obsessed and you put in that obsessive level of dedication, that it can happen. Yeah. Okay. So the the argument I, I'm trying to make, going back to the point I was trying to make about, yes, I agree. 100%. You have to be obsessed to be that level. But I'm trying to make the claim to our audience that like, if you're not there, like if you're not obsessed, we're not basically, I'm not trying to say like, you can't be successful. You just won't be that level. But listen to what he says in the very beginning. Page one. The, the 10X rule, going to page one, the 10X rule is the one thing that will guarantee that you'll get what you want in amounts greater than you ever thought imaginable. It can work in every area of your life, spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, family, and financial. The 10X rule, and it goes on and on. And so the point I'm trying to make is I don't want somebody to get discouraged of like, man, I'm just not obsessed 100% with the thing that I need to be doing spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, family, financial. Like... If you're not there, if you, if it's just like, you know, I'm not obsessed about this, but I know that I need to, in order to provide for my family and I need to do better, you can still be disciplined and you can still be successful. That's my one gripe with the book is yes, this is what you need to be at the, the one, 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 one percent, but that'd be like reading a book, of like how to become an NFL player. And it's like, okay, that's only going to reach like a very small population. But if you want to be like successful, 
maybe not like the one dominating every the sector you're in, but you want to be successful in your sector, you can be disciplined even if you're not obsessed. Agreed. I, I see your point. So it, it's really interesting though. You know, he mentions all those, right? And what's the ones? Like, I'll go back. I got. I have the same book you do. <laughs> so, you know, he mentions all the different ones, and and this is something I want to think about. Maybe we'll talk about this next time. And uh, Chris from Daily Refinement on Instagram had he had put something on on his Insta story that stuck out to me. He goes, "We have all this discussion about 10x, but how about 10xing your family?" Right. And I kind of thought about that. Like it, I. Wow, like I haven't I haven't thought about that. So just something we probably need to discuss at some point. Not the 10X family, but you know, he mentions spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, familial, and financial. The question is, can you 10X all nope. of those? Nope. And that's the point I'm trying to make. You cannot be a hundred percent 10X bought in. You eat, breathe, and live the stuff and all of those. Like you can only be that obsessed about one or two things, maybe, right? And so the argument I'm trying to make is if that, if your obsession, if it's like my family is my obsession and making my family work or money is my obsession or spiritual or whatever it is, then you still need to have those success in those other areas. So what do you do to get success in those areas? Discipline. Discipline. Mike, always bringing the wisdom in. Appreciate it. Boom. Mic drop. Just kidding. And on that note, we will end this podcast and we'll continue with chapter 13 on our next level up review. So make sure to be real, be relevant, and be reselling. Peace. Peace.